We need Jilly to come up and read. And it's Psalm 11. If you need a Bible, stick your hand up for the stewards are bringing them around. So we are reading Psalm 11. It's on page 548 of the Church Bibles. So it's a psalm of David for the director of music. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Thanks, Julie. Uh, keep Psalm 11 open. Um, seven verses. Uh, quite a lot we could say about it. I've got too many pages of notes. I'll do my best to not say too much. Uh, but let's pray as we start. Father God, this is a short psalm full of some great things with some hard words too. Please be with us now as we look at it together. Come by your spirit and speak, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now Andrew has stolen my opening question, sort of, which is, what sort of fears have you got in your life? What sort of opposition have you faced? What sort of things concern you? I'll give you just a minute to think about that while I get myself in the right frame of mind and then we'll kick off. Right, wonderful what a cup of tea will do. I don't know the answer to that question for you. You don't have to tell me. Some of us today perhaps come having known real oppression, real opposition, to know what it is to fear for your life. As David and his friends or associates do in this psalm. But I hope as we go through this psalm we will learn that regardless of the fears that we have, Regardless of the opposition we face, we have a God who is our refuge. And we have a God who is bigger and stronger than all of our fears and failures and the things we worry about. That's the sermon today. Um, there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's basically where we're going. And we have three slides, so we'll have the first one, please. 
But before we get on, before we jump to the idea that God is bigger, which is a great truth, I want us to take a moment to reflect on the fact that dangers are real. Fears can be justified. Here in this psalm, look at verse 2, verse 3. David has some people, in verse 1, speaking to him about real situations which he is facing. And this is what they say. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows of the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Be aware as you read this that somebody with an arrow and a bow who's a proper soldier or hunter can kill a deer from 200 metres away. And if there's a group of archers standing in the shadows as you walk past... They are perfectly capable of taking your life. It would be right to be fearful in that situation. And if you're a building and your foundation is destroyed, you will collapse to the ground and there is nothing you can do about it. So these pictures here, which are a bit unfamiliar to modern hearing are of the potential for death and destruction to come to David. There are real situations that he is having to face. Now, we don't know what the particular situation is for David. There were lots of them. I've picked one, not to say this is the situation, but to say this is the sort of thing David had to face. So, if you fancy turning with me to page 295... You'll find 1 Samuel 23. There's quite a few chapters in here. And they're all about the theme of Saul chasing David. We're going to go to verses 14 and 15. Actually, we'll go to verse 7 and 8, first of all. Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah. And he said, God has delivered him into my hands. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. Verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Okay. So that's what's going on here at this point in David's life. Saul, the king of Israel, has his whole army out. He's chasing after him. He spends months doing this. David spends months simply trying to avoid being killed by Saul and his army. Life can be hard as a believer, can't it? And life can be hard for us here this morning in the world we live in, can't it? I want us to take a moment and recognise that that is true. Some of us have neighbours who are against us. Some of us have work situations and colleagues who would love to do us down. 
Some of us have family situations and other relationships where it feels like we are under oppression. And if we're not in those places, we know people who are. And maybe one day we will be in those places. And if we dare to step into the public eye, let's say we dare to be a Kate Forbes and stand for the SNP leadership, did you follow the grief she got? Perhaps best not to. The accusations of bigotry and oppression on someone simply trying to stand for authentic, historic Christian truth in the public sphere. And for some of our young people going into their PHSE lessons at school, they face appalling things that they are taught as truth. They face situations of real awkwardness and hardship. Those of us who are older here, please understand, for our young people, growing up as a Christian in this culture is really hard. And it's really easy these days to be treated as though you are a bigot, as though you are a hater, as though you do not belong here. So let's be real about this. Dangers are there for believers in this world. But let's not stop there, because dangers don't define us. We mustn't stop at the dangers and the fears. That's what David's friends or his associates did. What did they do? Get your eyes into verse 1. So you've, you've, got the fear, you've got the wicked standing in the shadows, ready to shoot. And at a simple glance, it simply looks like the foundations are being destroyed. It's very easy to think, what can be done? What can the righteous do? This looks so big. Well, verse 1, flee, David. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Go somewhere where they cannot reach you, up, up, up and away, out of of it, away from it all. David's friends here have not seen the bigger picture. All they have seen is the danger. All they have seen is the fear. All they have seen is the problem and nothing else. And the only solution they can come up with is flee, run away, hide, keep yourself safe. And that's not going to work. That's not going to work for David in this situation. If he simply flees, Saul will get him one day. And he will have fled from his calling to be faithful to God, to wait, to be ready to be the king of Israel. And many of us in our situations, we cannot simply flee. We need a better answer. We need an answer, perhaps, which is the answer Jonathan gave to David just after those verses I was reading, back in 1 Samuel 23. So while David was at Horesh, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. That's where David needed to go. Not just looking at his fears and the dangers, but finding strength in God. And Jonathan knew that. And David knew it too, back in our psalm. 
Do you see his reaction to that suggestion? Flee, flee, run, get out of here. How can you say it to me, he says. How can you think like that? Is your mind so small? Is that the only thing you can see in this picture? Now, sadly, I fear, and I'm thinking of myself here, as much as any of you in this room, I find myself stuck with David's friends too often, looking at the situation, thinking, I cannot stand here. How can I manage? When I should be saying to myself, look, look at your God, know what your refuge is. Remind yourself of who your help is. Don't stick with the danger and the fear. Move to God. Move beyond that. That's what it means to be a believer, trusting. Not looking at the danger, moving to God. So a challenge for me and for you. Are there places where you don't do that? Where actually you let the fear just stay there? And you try to avoid it, but you let it stay there and sit on you. When what you need to do is take that fear to the Lord and say, Help, I know you're bigger than this. Can you please help me move forward here? Because the antidote to fear, next slide, is not to run from it, but to recognise God. Because he is our refuge. He is our strength. He is the one who gives us safety. Running away does not give you safety. There will always be somebody faster than you. And if you run from one situation, you'll end up in another one. But if you can know God and his strength and his safety, then you're safe. Recognise God. Make the right comparison, in fact. The comparison I too often make is between the situation and me. Let's think the idea of evangelism. Telling someone else about Jesus. Which feels a bit awkward and feels a bit scary. The comparison I usually do is... Well, here's me, and I'm this size, not very big. Here's this person, they're not big, but they might come at me with a response that I'm not going to like. They might be sharp. They might look at me as though, what on earth are you talking about? In that sense, they are bigger than me. And I get stuck here because I'm scared to move to that because it's too big. But what I need to know is the God who is with me is enormous. He is huge. He has given me all the strength I need for that situation. And it doesn't have to be evangelism. It could be putting up with people who are irritable and grumpy with you. It can be all sorts of things. So let's do that now as David does in this psalm. What can the righteous do? Well, they can go to verse 4 and they can see two wonderful things. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. And there's a whole sermon in each of those sentences. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. 
Isaiah 66 verse 1 says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. God has given us a picture as if he is sitting in heaven on his throne and the earth is down here and he just rests his foot on the earth like a footstool. That's how small the earth is in comparison to God. It's just like a side note in his sort of diary of history. It's like a flea sitting on an elephant. Or any, the analogies don't work, do they? Our God is sovereign over all things. He controls all things. He made all things. He knows all things. He knows the day we will draw our last breath. He knows the people we will meet tomorrow. He has the power to change the heart of anyone. That's our God. That's who he is. And he is on his heavenly throne. And he is in his holy temple. Do you remember when the temple was built and they got started with the sacrifices? Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8. And he made a massive long prayer. But in the middle of the prayer he says this. Let me find the verse. Will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there. So that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Which for Israel meant that they could pray and know that God heard their prayer. And God cared about their situation. And God would act and do what was right in their situation. Which for David, as the anointed king to be, meant God would keep him safe from Saul because he had made a promise. And for us means God will keep his promises that we are safe, whatever our situations. God is enough. God is actively with us. That is enough for us to be safe. And we have this because of Jesus and all that he has done. Think about this for a moment. Who had enemies like Jesus? He had the devil and all his angels fully against him. He had all the power of sin against him. He became sin and was punished. He had the world against him. He had the Roman Empire against him. He had death itself against him and lay dead in a tomb. 
But where are those enemies now? As far as Jesus is concerned, and as far as Jesus' people are concerned, where is sin nailed to the cross? Where is death defeated by Jesus? Where is the devil? I saw Satan fall like lightning, Jesus said. He's out of heaven. He's, in one sense, out of the picture, completely defeated. That's who we belong to. Or as Peter put it in Acts 2, verse 32 to 36. He's talking to the crowd about Pentecost. About the wonderful thing they all thought was crazy when they were speaking in other languages after Pentecost. And he said this to the crowd. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Pentecost has come. So all this stuff shows that Jesus is God's right hand. Jesus is on his throne. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made Jesus the Lord of all things and the saviour of his people. The one who will keep them safe. The one who will bring them to God in the end. That's who we belong to. That's our refuge. That's our strength in times of trouble. Jesus. He really is enough. And whatever we're going through today, whatever we go through tomorrow, whatever happens next week, next year, next century, for those of you who are young enough and Do you ever worry about this earth and what it will be like in 50 years' time? I do. I'm glad I'm not that young. But I know this. Jesus is enough. For whatever is coming. Whatever we will face. So as we think about life. As we think about the world around us. Or our personal situations. Jesus is enough. And as we pray for each other, let's pray that we will know that Jesus is enough. And as we talk together, let's encourage us with Jesus is enough. Okay. That will help us. That will strengthen us. That will help us move forward instead of shrinking back. Finally, time's... Is time moving on? I get it wrong. It's not, is it? It's because we're 4.30 and I look at the clock and I'm thinking, oh, it's really late. It's not really. I'll keep going. (laughs) Thank you, Colin. I'm encouraged. We've not been too long. Right. There's another perspective, okay? God is our refuge. We recognise that. Perspective gives us peace, okay? Get your perspective right, then you can know peace. The world's perspective is so often on the here and the now and what's happening, isn't it? And if you're worried about global warming, your perspective is the world's going to burn. 
I'm not trying to be frivolous. That's all you've got, and that's really scary, isn't it? And if you're sick, I was going to say, if you're old, and I'm looking at Bill and <laughs> Derek, and sorry, <laughs> you're worried. When will my when will I draw stumps? When will my life end? If you're ill and you suffer from fatigue, you worry, will I be able to get up tomorrow? What will I feel like in the morning? If you have an enemy, if you have a hard situation, what's it going to be like when I go to work tomorrow? That is your perspective. And you're hemmed in and it's painful and it's fearful, isn't it? Well, here's the bigger perspective. We've, we've done the first half of verse 4. The Lord's in his temple, the Lord's on his throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur. A scorching wind will be their lot. The Lord sees everything. That's the perspective we need to have. The Lord knows everything. He knows all about global warming. He knows all about ill health, old age and death. He knows all about neighbours and disputes over fences. He knows all about bullying at school. He sees it all. And if we're a believer, do you see he sees us there? He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. He's looking at our lives closely. And you might think that's a bit weird and that's a bit scary and that's a bit sort of invasion of privacy. But that's God who knows everything. And what's he looking for? Well, he's looking to work this in us. James 2 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is watching our lives and allowing things to happen And putting us in situations that will drive us to him and that will make us, in the end, more like Jesus. Growing us in patience, growing us in faith, helping us depend on him as the only one who will keep us safe. So he does that. So in that hard place you have, or I have, he is there and he's wanting to say, look, I am with you. I'm for you here. Trust me. Keep going. And through that, he's making us more like Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. It may not feel like it when you're in a trial, but that is what God does for the believer. It's a wonderful thing. It is the best thing. Don't try and get an easy life, Christian. Don't blame God for all the bad things that happen. He sends them to do us good. To make us like Christ. That's why he's watching over us with care. 
But he's also watching over the unbeliever, isn't he? Do you see the verse, verse 6? Fiery coals, burning self, remind you of anything? He's watching this world like he did watch over Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed them with fire from heaven. Fiery coals and burning sulfur. That was the lot of Sodom. That is the lot of the world which stands against God. And so your enemy, who might seem really, really big to you, think about their fate before God. Are they really that big? Can they take away anything that you have as a Christian? Can they take away your faith? Can they take away your hope? Can they take away heaven? Can they take away Jesus? No. This world cannot take anything from us that's worth having in the end. We have all that we need. We have all that's best, regardless of our situations. So when we're feeling oppressed, when we are being oppressed, know that God is on our side, doing us good. And know that God is watching over this world and he is preparing his justice and his judgment. All will be well in the end. All evil will be righted in the end. Even evil against ourselves. That's how David kept going. But there's one more thing, and I'll finish with this. Time is moving. We don't live in Psalm 11 days. We live in the gospel age. Jesus has come. He is making all things new. And he has moved us to a slightly different place. We are not simply to look out at the world and think, well, this world is destined for judgment. I can crack on living No, we are to know God's heart for this world. It is true God is ready in justice and judgment. But it is also true that we are on the age of the gospel going out and putting the judgment on Jesus so that people can be saved. We are in the age of Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 where Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Sorry, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's God's heart for the world. Judgment is a strange thing to God. His heart is to do good and to bless. And he wants the gospel to go out and change people and save people so that he can bless more. And he wants us to be Matthew 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He wants us to go out and tell people about Jesus, even when it's hard, even when we might feel persecuted, even when we might feel scared. Because that light is what this world needs. And even if we are persecuted, he wants us to know verse 11. Blessed are you 
when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. That's God's heart for this world. He is with us. He is enough. He is our safety. And we have a gospel that can change persecutors and oppressors and people who are just indifferent and bring them into the kingdom of light. Let's remember that. Back to Psalm 11. Take your eyes to verse 7. I'm going to read that and then we'll pray. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Father God, thank you that Jesus is enough. Thank you that he is stronger than all our fears and dangers. Thank you that you love justice. You will right all wrongs. But thank you for the gospel, which is going out so that evil, wicked people like us can be saved, can be changed, and Jesus can take their punishment. Thank you that the upright will see his face. Help us to long for the face of Jesus more than anything. In Jesus' name, amen.